Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your great grace and that you are our guiding hand and our protector wherever you may take us in this world. So Lord, even now, overrule my thoughts and my words that what is spoken is yours alone. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here on Father's Day. It's an interesting thing that statistically, after Christmas Eve and Easter, Mother's Day is the highest attendance church day of the year across, across denominations. And likewise, Father's Day is one of the two or three lowest attendance days of the year, statistically. And that has been consistent for decades now. But it's so good to have all of you here on Father's Day. And um, been a wonderful week here at church and our... Our youth returned Friday night from youth camp, and I've heard just wonderful reports. Father Jed called me Friday evening around 9 o'clock, and we talked for close to an hour, and he just uh, went on and on and on about just the wonderful things that God was doing in the lives of our students while they were away, and thanks to the chaperones that were there. And I know um, Heidi was at first service, and Jason is here Second service and was here at first service as well. And I think they all need bottles of Aleve for muscle and joint aches and pains. But thank you so much for making this possible for our students. And we're looking forward to good reports. Father Jed's actually going to put together, I think, possibly some video testimonies and have some of our students share specific things that God did in their lives while they were away this week, this past week. And thank all of you who helped to make this possible through. Um, availing yourselves of the yard work and different services that our youth um, made themselves available for here in the, the previous months. We're continuing today focusing on our New Testament reading, just as we did last Sunday from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we begin today, I just want to talk a little bit about the city of Corinth. I think to understand the issues both last week and this week that St. Paul is addressing, we need to know a few things about the Corinthian church. There were a number of significant challenges that the Corinthian church faced, both generated from within and challenges that came from without, externally as well. Corinth was a seaport. It was a Roman provincial capital. And in many ways, it was a cosmopolitan city um, with all both the positive things and the negatives that, that come with that. Some of the issues that they were struggling with um, internally and sometimes getting very wrong might not seem all that foreign to us as Christians today and the issues we face both internally within the church of Jesus Christ and our culture and also externally. What kind of issues are we talking about? Well, we're talking about lax moral standards and a range of immoral sexual behaviors which were being tolerated within the church without any action or discipline on the part of church leadership, despite a lack of repentance on the part of those who were engaging in those practices. Errant perspectives regarding divorce and a biblical perspective on divorce. Christians suing each other in secular courts of law. And then issues in worship, including abuse and misuse of God-given gifts of the Holy Spirit and inappropriate participation and reception of the Eucharist. In other words, people coming to receive the body and blood of Christ without repentance, without their hearts being prepared for that. 
There were also questions about the resurrection of the, the body, which St. Paul addresses in First and Second Corinthians. And if that isn't enough, there were also factions in the church, divisions in the church that were created by those who came from without. Um, they were caused to a significant, significant extent by false apostles who came from outside of the church claiming some unique power or apostolic authority. Persons who, while puffing up themselves, also demeaned and denigrated Paul's ministry as a genuine apostle. Corinth was also a church given to extremes. Um, and this was the case with the issues of sexual morality. If you read 1 Corinthians, there's a horrible issue of sexual morality going on within the church. And Paul tells them, you've got to deal with this. This person isn't repentant. And what St. Paul says is to them in his letter, 1 Corinthians, expel the immoral brother. But then as we read in 2 Corinthians, the church of Corinth finally does this. But then after this brother is repentant, they don't want to readmit him to full fellowship within the body of believers. And Paul says to them, you've gone too far because the purpose of church discipline is always redemptive. It's always to bring that person to repentance and full restoration in their walk with the Lord and in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Second Corinthians is written to address and to temper some of these extremes. We also know from scholars that there, when you read 2 Corinthians, there is clearly a letter that was written between what we have in scriptures, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, by Paul also addressing some of these issues. And that letter is not existent in, in this day, but it's clear that he was also, he refers to it, makes reference to a letter that, that doesn't exist anymore that came in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is also written to more completely address these external threats to the church through false apostles, or as, or as Paul sarcastically calls them, super apostles who weren't even apostles and weren't even genuine Christians at all. Yet despite all of this mess, all of this junk, the Corinthians were dearly beloved by God and by St. Paul. And despite their shortcomings, or maybe because of them, Paul reminds them in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And even beyond this God-breathed reality, Paul reminds them that through Christ, they, these Corinthians, these, these flawed Christians have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Think about that. Despite all the garbage, despite all the junk, God has called them to the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? What did that mean for them? What does that mean as we look at God's word? What does that mean for us? Well, I think to better understand this, we need to look at two things. First, we need to look at what is the message of reconciliation that we find in God's word in Holy Scripture? And secondly, what is this ministry of reconciliation, which we read about in 2 Corinthians, to which God called them and to which God calls us? And how does that become a lived reality in our lives? So first, what is the message of reconciliation? 
Well, the key here is found in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we read all this, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation with God, right relationship, restored intimate fellowship. It is indeed possible but it is only possible because of God's loving, gracious action toward us and on our behalf through Jesus Christ. This exclusivity that this is only possible through Christ is something at which many people in our day and in our culture bristle. In our culture with its unhealthy overemphasis on extreme personal autonomy and individualism that we, we see around us. We've seen it even during this season of COVID. In a world that increasingly frowns upon a recognition that you and I are dependent on anyone or anything else. Yet this is where we find ourselves in light of Scripture. The things we deal with in our culture, this extreme individualism that says, I'm the measure of all things, is really not that different than Corinth, where they dealt with Greek humanism, which very much has influenced our culture as well, which is the idea that man or human beings are the measure of all things, and that there is no one or nothing beyond myself to which I am accountable. There's nothing greater or more powerful, no one greater or more powerful than I am. And that means that I can engage in any kind of individualistic autonomy, um, as Maslow would have said, um, actualization of self. I can do that without repercussions. And yet this is not what God's word says because God's word says that in and of ourselves, we are born dead in our trespasses and sin. And that this is a state of being inherited from our first parents in Genesis through the fall that we read of in Genesis chapter three. And again, this is one of those things that people in our culture bristle at, they dislike. But despite what people in the culture might say, where we have to come back to brothers and sisters is what does God's word say? What do the scriptures say? Well, here's what the scriptures say. Romans chapter three, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And that's Paul quoting Psalm 14, verse three. In Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, we read this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. People can resist and object to and even bristle at the truth. And yet resistance to the truth in no way negates the veracity of the truth. This is the tough state of things. But that is not, brothers and sisters, that is not where God leaves us. Because God has indeed made reconciliation possible. 
in our secular culture, we hear a lot about mediators and mediation processes, and that can be in labor relations. It can be in families or marital issues. Sometimes it can be in other contexts as well in business contexts. And in a mediation process in our culture, you have a neutral party, sometimes a trained expert who comes in, who in a sense has no dog in the fight. That person, he or she is completely neutral. And you have the offender and the person, the offended party or those who don't see eye to eye. And that mediator tries to work through things to find a healthy middle ground and mediate the process to an acceptable outcome. That's how it works in our world. But that is not how mediation works with God. How different it is with God. Because God is both the offended party we have rebelled in our sin and disobedience against him. And he is also, through Jesus Christ, the mediator. Think about the incredible love and grace and mercy that that demonstrates to us regarding the heart of God. Romans 5 verse 10 reminds us, for if we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 2, which we hear part of every Sunday, in what we call the comfortable words after the confession absolution says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Every Sunday, when either Father Jed or I vest in the vesting room, there's a set of prayers as we put on each of our vestments that we say silently to ourselves. And one of them is this. When we put the stole on, we pray these words. Restore unto me, O Lord, the stole of immortality, which was lost through the guilt of my first parents. And although I am unworthy to approach your sacred mysteries, nevertheless grant unto me eternal joy. Speaking of God's mediation and our unworthiness because of the sin that is an integral part of us outside of Christ. We hear the glory and the beauty of God's mediation every Sunday when we we celebrate the Eucharist, where we, in a sense, step out of human chronological time and we step into God's time, into what the Greek would call kairos time. And in a sense, we are in real time taken back to that moment where God's reconciling work reached its climax through what Christ has done for us. We're taken back to the upper room on that night. And Jesus' words, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Drink this, all of you. This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We're taken back to the cross of Calvary, where he offered himself, as we pray every week, once for all, that by his suffering and death, we might be saved. In the Eucharistic prayer called the doxology, by him, speaking of Jesus, by him and with him and in him, through the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. 
and what we call in the Eucharist the fraction, where we take the consecrated host and we break it and say, Alleluia. Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Speaking of the once for all and continuing reality of the efficacy and the power of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. That's why we say Christ is sacrificed. It's like when we say Christ is risen. We don't say Christ has been risen. We say Christ is risen. And in the same way we say Christ is sacrificed for us because it happened once for all and yet the power and the efficacy of that sacrifice continues in the same profound way even in this very moment. Brothers and sisters, it is finished. If anyone is in Christ, and that includes every single one of us who knows Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, God can cleanse all that sin and all of that junk and he will make us new creations in him. This is good news, amen? It's wonderful news. But there's even more. Not only have we been reconciled to God through Christ, but it is also God's will through Christ to use you and me. Flawed beings with feet of clay that we are. It is God's will to use us. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the second point. Verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the ministry that God has called every one of us who knows Christ too. That we are ambassadors of Christ's eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And God, in his grace and mercy, in a way that blows my mind, makes his appeal to those around us and to the world be reconciled to Christ. He makes that appeal through you and me. This is the ministry of each of us. It's been entrusted to every single one of us, not just bishops and priests and deacons, not just clergy, but every one of us who knows Christ. Not just the 12 apostles, not just St. Paul and his travel companions. But this proclamation, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ is entrusted to the entire church, every believer, the entire church of Jesus Christ is entrusted to us, all saints church, to live out and make known. And the ministry of reconciliation is by the same means as the message of reconciliation. It's through Christ and Christ alone who has established this ministry through us, through you and me. And it's a message again of proclamation entrusted to every single one of us. So how has that applied in our lives? How has that lived out as a daily reality? If we know Christ, you can't dodge it. This is God's call for you. This is God's call for me. We are the recipients of this ministry that's been given to us. Wherever God has placed you, whatever God is doing in your life, wherever he takes you, this is your call. 
And it's accomplished not in our flesh, not in the weakness of human frailty, but by God's power working in and through us and living into by God's grace and power this new reality of this new creation he's making us to be. So that that old dies and dies and dies more and more. And the new creation is brought forth in our lives in ever greater measure by the work of the spirit within us. God has given us this charge, brothers and sisters. He has given us this holy mission. And every one of us is different and unique. God has placed in our lives unique giftings by his spirit. He's given us natural abilities. He's given us skills. He's given us different personalities. And he's placed every single one of us in a unique context right here, right now at this time in your workplace, with the neighbors that you interact with, with your family members, with those you interact with in the stores where you shop. And God calls us with all of these people to be his ministers of reconciliation, to be that salt and that light of Jesus Christ through the power of the spirit working in us. And it means that we need to step back and in God's calling, take time and ask God to attune our hearts and minds spiritually to how to share the gospel and how to live the gospel out with those we interact with every day in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in our families. So that it happens, I will say, supernaturally, naturally. That means by not, not somehow by being somebody that we're not or being pompous and arrogant or plastic, by being real and transparent and taking time to get to know people and to hear their story and to hear their struggles and to hear the brokenness in their lives and to share with them in their victories and their joys. And in the midst of that, to speak the reconciling love and life of Jesus Christ to them as living epistles, as living testimonies. You know, sometimes in the church, we're, and I'll, I'm off script here, but that's okay. Sometimes in the church, we want to preach at people, but we need to walk with them and earn a right to be heard. No matter what their struggles, no matter how offensive somebody's life might be to you, just remember our sin outside of Christ is just as offensive to God as their sin is. And But by the grace of God, there go I. We need to take time to let people share their hearts, let them share their stories, and then speak a word of hope, a word of godliness, a word of reconciliation, even a word of conviction that's timely spoken, not in the flesh, but in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Because as we engage by God's power in this reconciling ministry, this activity, we become ambassadors, just like Paul and his fellow workers, acting on behalf of Christ here in this world. There is no plan B. This is God's design. This is God's plan. And we become the representatives of God's eternal, righteous and holy kingdom as we live out and we proclaim that message. And by God's grace and God's work, we see people transformed and brought into his kingdom and delivered and set free. Be reconciled to God through Christ.
and then grow to be that minister of reconciliation. He is calling you and me and all of us together to be. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we marvel at your incredible grace and mercy that you meet us in our brokenness and our sin and our darkness and that you through Christ have mediated the new covenant of life to us. And he is the propitiation, the appeasing sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And God, we marvel that you would choose to use us, people with feet of clay, as your instruments in this culture, in this world. And indeed, Lord, you have called us here for such a time as this. So Lord, I pray for us that you would pour out afresh the power of your spirit, that you would pour out your grace, that you would give us supernatural divine insights in reaching those around us as your ministers of reconciliation and that we would do nothing in the flesh, but that we would walk in the grace and the power and the anointing of God. And you would remind us as we do that where we have come from, from whence you have brought us, and that we would be ever mindful of your grace and your mercy and the good and wonderful work that you're doing in us and that you will to do in others as well. So Lord, help us, empower us, and use us, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.